You may remember 14 years ago we started a series in the book of Mark. Actually, we started in September, and then we had Thanksgiving, then we had Christmas, and, and so now we're back in this wonderful gospel of Mark, and we call this series Marvel because God, uh, in this book, He shows Himself in such wonderful ways that it just makes you want to stand back sometimes and just marvel at how, how, how wonderful He is. Back about November, I think it was, <clears throat> I had kind of an epiphany. I'm not sure what that word means, and you probably aren't either, so look it up when you get home, Google it. I got off the treadmill, and believe it or not, I really I enjoy working out. I, I like to lift weights. I like to get on the treadmill. I try to watch what I eat uh, most days of the week, except Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. And, uh, but I, I got off the treadmill that day, and I said, you know, what, what I'm doing is just not working the way I want it to work. You know, I looked in the mirror, and I said, you know, I, I, I want it to be different. I got to do something different. Some of you are going, amen, preach it, preach it. Listen, you need to do something different too, amen. Maybe not, maybe not health-wise, but my guess is today, no, not my guess. I know everybody in here, whether it's your health, your marriage, the way you're raising your kids, uh, the, the way you interact with your parents, your school, sports, there's some things that you need to do different. And, and folks, as we enter this new year, I love a new year because it gives us, it gives us a, like a definitive starting, jumping off point where we can say things are going to be different from this point on. And the truth is that if you and I don't decide in some areas that things are going to be different, we're going to be just where we are this time next year or worse off than we are this time next year. How do you expect anything to be different if you don't do something different? Now, you might write this down. Many of you know it. I'm going to say it several times throughout the message. One definition of insanity is to do the same thing over and over and expect a different result. How many of you are insane at times? by that definition. <laughs> you do the same thing over and over and go, goodness, great, it's still the same result. Well, of course it's going to be. We're going to look at two primary verses in Mark chapter 2 today, <clears throat> and they're odd little verses, to be honest with you. And just reading them, as many of you have probably read them a hundred times before, you got to say, this just doesn't really make sense. In verse 21 in Mark 2 it says, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. Now, these, in the next illustration, these are cultural illustrations that would have been understood very well 2,000 years ago, but it may not for us today. You have a hole in a garment. Now, today, a, a look at a modern pair of blue jeans. Okay, correct. In the first service, they were like, oh. <laughs> but, I mean, that's for real, isn't it? I mean, that's, and that's okay. As long as the hole's not in the wrong place, it's okay, right? Correct. But in most eras before us, that was not okay. You patched the garment. And so, in Jesus' day, if a person had a hole on a garment, you wanted to patch it. You have an old garment that's been washed, that's already shrunk, it's fit to size or whatever. You did not take... You do not cut from a new garment, destroy a new garment, or get a new piece of cloth and patch that hole with that, on that old garment with that new cloth. Because if you did, as soon as you wash that garment a few times or it gets wet, what happened was the patch would then shrink 
and it would tear the garment even worse. In other words, you would destroy the garment even more. You'd make the hole bigger is what Jesus was saying here. And you've ruined the new cloth by using it, and you've ruined the old garment, okay? I hope that makes a little sense. It makes no spiritual sense at all whatsoever right now, but we're going to try to in a moment. Verse 22, and no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Some of you tried this last week. It doesn't work, does it? If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, he pours new wine into new wineskins. Now, in Jesus' day, they did not have bottles like we, we have. They didn't have plastic. They didn't have bottles. And what they used to carry their wine in, and wine was their staple drink. It was their, their staple, of, uh, one part of their diet. They would take goat skins or sheep skins, and they would tan them and treat them, and, and then they would sew them together very carefully to make a, we would say, is a portable a, a canteen, basically. We have a picture of one of these. It's kind of grotesque looking. Ladies, that was the forerunner of the 80-pound purse. I mean, that is huge. That's a lot of wine. They were going to a New Year's Eve party with that thing, weren't they? I mean, that is, that is really big. Now, here was the deal. Once the, once the sheepskin, the wineskin, got old, it lost its elasticity. Now, I am, I am no connoisseur of wine. I read this, so I, I'm, I'm telling you what I've read. But they would pour the grape juice, the new wine, well, still what we'd say grape juice, into these, the, if they poured into an old wineskin that had lost its elasticity, it immediately, <clears throat> where Jesus lived in that era, the, the fermentation process began almost immediately. It was very quick because of the temperature and all. And when, <clears throat> when alcohol begins to, or when grape juice begins to ferment, become alcohol, it emits gas. And when it does, it expands. And what happens, if you poured new wine into old wineskins that didn't have the elasticity, as it fermented, it would burst the wineskins. And so you run the wineskins, and you run the wine. Now, how does that apply to your quiet time tomorrow morning? Well, we'll see in just a second. But Jesus has given two very important illustrations to them. You put, you put an old patch on a new garment, it's going to ruin it. It's ineffective. You pour new wine into old wineskins, it's, it's ineffective. It's going to ruin both. So here's a couple of things Jesus was trying to teach them and us. Here's the first one. When our ways are not in line with God's, they're not going to work. Okay, if you're not a Christian this morning, I would tell you this, that you, as you live your life and you don't include God in it, it's not always something you see overnight. It's not always something you see the next day. But ultimately, life does not work apart from God. Now, many of you are Christians or you profess to be Christians. And if you're trying to do life, marriage, business, school, as a teenager, as a middle-ager middle or whatever ager you are, if you're trying to do life apart from God's ways, eventually and ultimately it's not going to work. You see, when Jesus was telling this story about the patch tearing, the wineskins bursting, he was telling these people who were highly religious Jewish experts in the law, Bible scholars, he was saying, guys, you're not doing it God's way, and it's not working, and it's not going to work. Now, I'm going to paraphrase the context in, in, in what Jesus is talking about. In verse 13 through 17, again, I'm just going to paraphrase it, and it all applies to this patch in the wineskin. Jesus was calling people to himself, 
And he calls this guy named Levi, who's a tax collector. Tax collectors are hated in Jesus' day. They're known to be cheats. They're known to be dishonest. And Jesus calls him and says, follow me. In fact, Jesus makes him one of his top 12 guys. And then they have a party, and all these tax collectors and all these drunks and all these wild people and these partiers are eating with Jesus, and the religious people see it, and they blow a gasket. What are you doing hanging around with these party animals and these scumbags and these bad people? And Jesus said, you guys absolutely don't get me at all. I love everybody. You don't. You condemn people. I don't like what people do, but I love them anyway. And Jesus ended it by saying, by the way, I haven't called to come a bunch of self, to, to call a bunch of self-righteous people to myself. I've called sinners to come and be a part of my family. By the way, everybody in this room is a sinner. They just didn't get it. Completely off base from God and his ways. And he continues in verse 20 and 21 with a story about fasting and a wedding. Excuse me, 18 through 20. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And some people came and they asked Jesus, how is it John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Verse 19, Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have the bridegroom and the bride with him. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away, and on that day they will fast. Now Jesus was saying here, a Jewish, a Jewish wedding celebration lasted for seven days. Now daddies, as you've paid for weddings, think about this. It wasn't just the rehearsal dinner and the, the service. It was a seven-day party, okay, when, when someone got married. They got married on the first day and you partied for seven days. Wouldn't that have been cool? Unless you were paying for it, that had been great, wouldn't it? That had been a lot of fun. And... And while they were having this, no one was going to fast. No one was going to do without food. You feasted. You, you enjoyed yourself. You had a great time. But, but the, the picture and the idea of the fasting here, in, in, the, in the, the world Jesus lived in, the Jewish people had four or five days. They had national fast. Now, fast is doing out without food to focus on God. Jesus commends that. Jesus says that's something that you and I should be doing in our life occasionally. The Pharisees, the Green Beret of Jesus' day, the religious people, they fasted not only four or five times a year, every Monday and Thursday, but they also fasted in a way they'd walk around like this, oh, I'm so hungry, I'm so hungry. Well, you want something? No, I can't eat anything. I'm fasting for God. I'm fasting for God. Oh, I can barely move. I'm so tired. Oh, I'm so, aren't I spiritual? And Jesus said, you guys make me sick. You guys make me absolutely sick. And then he throws in here, you, you can't patch an old garment with a new piece of cloth because it's, it's not going to work. You can't pour new wine into old wineskins. It's not going to work. What Jesus was saying, he said, look, guys, I have come now. This applied to them and it applies to us. I'm fulfilling the law. I'm the promised Messiah. I'm showing you the way and the new way. And by the way, he was talking to them. He was saying, you guys have been missing me all along. You, you obey religiously. You look down on people. You're snooty. I don't do this. I don't do that. And you've been missing me completely. You've been putting a patch on a garment that's going to tear away and pouring wine in. It's going to burst the wine sacks. You're not doing life my way, and it's not working. I want to tell you, that still applies today. 
you're committing adultery on your husband or wife. Let me tell you, it's going to come to roost. It's going to blow up on you sooner or later. You're a liar. You're a cheat. You cheat people in business. Oh, you may have had a little more money this year at Christmas. You know what? Sooner or later, it's going to blow up on you. You say, well, I don't lie. I don't murder. I don't commit adultery. A lot of us don't, but we live selfishly and pridefully and condescendingly. And for some reason, we, we don't understand. That may be how everybody at your church, not at this church, hopefully, but at wherever you go to church or some other church you grew up in, that's how they behave. But that's wrong, and it's never going to work. When we don't do life God's way, it's not going to work. Okay, here's the second thing. Many of us are just choosing paths that aren't going to work. Maybe it's not overtly sinful. Maybe we can't find the verse and pinpoint it. But when you look deep in your heart today, you know that you're on a path with your life right now that's, that's not going to work long term. I won't, I won't read it again, but the patch may work temporarily. It's not going to work long term. The wineskins aren't going to burst overnight, but they're going to burst eventually. I wonder how many of us this morning, if we were honest, would say, I'm doing some things that ultimately aren't going to work. When I was a junior in college, I was taking intro to biology. I was a physical education health major. I wanted to be a coach. And I went to a small college, and at this time, they had the pre-med, they had the pre-vet, and they had the coaches all in the same biology class. How many of you see a problem with that? And I had a biology teacher who was mad at the world. I think they wanted to be a a medical doctor, and it didn't pan out, so they decided they were going to punish everybody in intro to biology for the next 85 years. I I promise you, I'm an exaggerator. I'm not exaggerating this. We had multiple choice tests, and, and you know, multiple choice is supposed to be A, B, C, D, right? Correct? It was A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and H. Okay, we took our first biology test. I got mine back, and it said in red letters at the top, six, five. And I thought to myself, this was, this is going to lose your thinking, but this is what I thought. You know, that's a F, but it's a high F. I was being positive. <laughs> and, and with some real work, I can push this up to a C, and I can be done with biology until I get to heaven. Amen. Well, I got to looking, and, and I noticed for this 65, there were sure a lot of red marks. And then as I talked to the professor after class, it wasn't 65, it was minus 65. And, you know, I wasn't very smart. Obviously, I wasn't very smart in biology. But when I left that day, when I took biology over again the next year, by the way, I knew I had to do something different because cramming a few hours the night before was not going to get me through biology. Now, maybe that's for you academically. Unless you like the 10th or 11th grade and would like to take it two or three times, maybe you need to do something different. Maybe your marriage is not on the rocks, but it's just not that great. And you know what? Do you think it's just going to magically get great? And I know what you're thinking. Yeah, if my spouse would get their act together, it'd be a lot better. That's exactly what they're thinking too. (laughs) And some of us are on paths that may not be overtly sinful, but they're just not going to take us where we want to be. Remember that definition of insanity? 
If we continue to do the same things, we continue on the same path over and over and expect different results, we are not very smart, okay? So let's move to the third thing today. We need to, this year, starting today, if you haven't already, we need to think and act God's ways, okay? That's exactly what the people in Jesus' day that he was talking to, they were not doing. Now, now guys, please hear this. These were highly religious people. These were people that knew the Old Testament better than any of us know our Bible. These were people who were looked up to as being the religious leaders of their day. But they were not doing it God's way. And you and I, we need to have a transformation this morning and this year and make a choice to do life God's way. And I want to promise you, and I think you're going to agree, if we do, if you and I decide we're going to start thinking God's way and acting God's way, it's going to, we're going to do things a lot different. We really are. Romans 12, 1 and 2 lays this out so beautifully. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Okay, verse 2. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Take a different route, heart and your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect, perfect will. Okay, how do, we, how do we get in a, a shift gears in our lives to where we, in 2013, will start to think and act God's way, which is going to be radically different and radically better for every one of us here. I'm going to give you four words, and the first one's heart. It starts with your heart. You'll never get past this. Some of us this morning, we're going to miss this, and so you miss it all. If you miss this and you don't get this, you miss it all. It starts with your heart. Here's what you need to do. If you're not a Christian today, you need to give your life to Jesus. You need to give your heart to Christ. When we talk about the heart, we're talking about your mind and your will and your soul and your being. If you are a Christian, here's a challenge for you every morning when you get up. Say this to Jesus. Say, Jesus, today I'm giving you my heart. You don't have to be saved every day over and over and again. But in Luke 9, 23, it says, take up your cross daily. In other words, in other words, you need to make a conscious decision. I need to make a conscious decision every day that Christ is going to have my heart. But let me have your attention. Many of you here have given your heart to Christ at some time in the past, and you've taken it back. God doesn't have your heart anymore. You didn't lose your salvation, but you've lost lordship, his lordship of your life. And you need to re-give him your heart. And every one of us needs to make a choice every day to be filled with the Spirit and to give God our heart, okay? Here's the second word, and that's the word Bible. Bible. If you're going to think like God and act like God, you've got to take God's Word into your life. Colossians 3.16 is a beautiful verse. Just the very first part of it, let the message of Christ dwell in you richly. The only way Christ's Word is going to dwell in you richly is if you're taking it in, okay? How many of you have ever fallen asleep with the Bible on your chest at night? Raise your hand higher. Y'all act like it's a sin. It's a, okay, now, now I want you to be honest. We're in church. How many of you, when you woke up and the Bible was on your chest, felt more spiritual, honestly? 
Seriously. I remember in college, I fell asleep. I had my little red living Bible, and I woke up, and it was on my chest, and it was like, oh. And, you know, that's fine. But you know how much that really affected you or me? None, not a no. I mean, fall asleep with a Sears catalog on your chest tomorrow. It's not going to make a much difference. Now, you're reading your Bible when you fell asleep, which is good. But you've got to take it in. Here's some goals for you this year. Every Christian ought to read the New Testament every year. You're not a Christian. Read the New Testament this year. 260 chapters start tomorrow morning. Read Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. You're so exhausted, take Saturday and Sunday off. The Bible is the only book that you can read it 50 times and it gets better every time. Okay? Read your New Testament. Now, maybe you're ready to dive into the Old Testament too. Old Testament has 929 chapters. So if you're going to read the New Testament, the Old Testament this year, you've got to read three Old Testament every day without much break and one New Testament. Maybe you want to break it in and read, read the Old Testament in two years. Read two chapters a day. That's much easier and more easy to manage. And read through the New Testament. But, guys, you've got to get in the Bible. And you've got to let the Bible get in you. And the only way you're going to do that is by reading it and studying it. Okay? Here's the third word, prayer. You've got to spend time talking to God. I want to challenge you this year. Will you do this? Will you, will you say, I'm going to give the first 10 or 15 minutes of my day or maybe it's the end of your day, however what works best for you. I'm going to spend 10 or 15 minutes in prayer. Some of you need more time than that. Some of you, 10 or 15 would be great. You say, I don't know how to pray. You catch one of us after church. We'll get you a little guide on how to pray. We've given out a, a, a thousand of these little books called Time Alone with God. that will teach you how to pray. You can't know God and live like God if you don't pray and commune with him, okay? And the fourth word is the word church. What you're doing this morning, man, I'm so thankful and honored that you're here. And you need to be in church. You really do. This is where we sing about God. We pray together. You hear the word of God preached. You need this. This is biblical obedience being in church. Did you know that? It, it really is. Here's a, here's a challenge for you. Set a goal for how much you're going to be in church this year. Give yourself four or five weeks for vacation and, and say, I'm going to be in church 48 times this year. So, <gasps> some of you are grabbing your hearts. If you're a Christ follower, now if you're not a Christian, I'm not talking to you. If you're a Christian, you've got to be in church more than eight or ten times a year. You've just got to. Give yourself four or five weeks for vacation. Come to church. You say, well, I'm out of town a lot. Go to church where you are when you go out of town. You've got to be in church. Maybe it's time to start coming on Sunday night or, or coming to a Bible study connection group at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. But listen, I promise you, the more you come to church, it's not going to hurt you. It's going to help you. It will help you. It won't make you worse. It'll make you better. It's getting Christ in you more and more. Listen, if you're going to think like God and you're going to act like God, you've got to get God in you more and more, correct? Okay? You want to live life differently. You want to live life better. You want to live life better. You've got to think and act like God. Now, here's the last challenge I want to give you. In all areas, we need to be willing to do something different. Now, we obviously talking about the God part of it, that's pretty easy as a Christian or, or somebody's in church and, and you need to hear that and you expect to hear that, that, that we need to be willing to do life God's way. But I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you really hard 
to be looking at your life in every area and be willing to ask myself, what needs to be different? Jesus told him, he said, you can't sew a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. It's going to tear away. You can't pour the new wine in the old wineskins. It's going to burst the the wineskins. You've got to do things differently. I heard someone tell me years ago, a lot of people are like concrete. They've been thoroughly mixed up and they're firmly set in place. Everybody in this room is way too young to stop growing and to think you got it all figured out. Did you hear me? Well, I have a doctor's degree. Well, I do too. Whoop-de-doo. That means you're smart in one area probably, right? Nobody in this room is so old and so accomplished that you don't need to keep an open, pliable mind and heart. Ephesians 4.23, Ephesians 4.23, being made new in the attitude of your mind, in your thinking, in your mindset, in the way you do life. What about church? What about our church this next year? You know, in America, 70 to 80% of churches are flat, are they're declining. In other words, they're, they're standing still or they're dying. 70 to 80% of churches. You know why? You know a big reason that is? Is because churches are, are, are the slowest organizations in the world to make changes. We used to sing a song at my first church, I shall, I shall, I shall not be moved. And believe me, at that first church, they weren't going to be moved. Principles never change, but methods do. Did you get that? Principles never change. As a church, we have to be open. As an individual, you have to be open. How open are you to change? How open are you today to having a real heart-to-heart with your husband, your wife, or your parents, or, or with your kids? Or with someone who will be honest with you, not someone who's just going to pat you on the back and go, you're so beautiful, you're so wonderful. You don't need to change at all. Please send them to my office. I need to hear that too. (laughs) That's not really what I ultimately need to hear. Back a few years ago, my oldest sister died. She was 51. Now, some of you in front of me go, 51? That is like 180. No, it's really not. She was 51. And here's why she died. She wouldn't do things differently. She had some health problems, and doctors had told her for years, over and over, you've got to make some changes. You've got to do some things differently. And then at 51, I'm standing looking at her grave, doing her funeral, and my brothers and sisters after the funeral are all saying to me, we shouldn't be here today. We shouldn't be here today. Am I telling you you're going to be dead if you don't do some things differently this time next year? It's possible. Am I telling you you may be divorced if you don't do some things differently? It's possible. But let's go from the extremes and let's bring it back to where you can handle it a little better. 
Your marriage may be worse. Your health may be worse. You may be enjoying the same teachers in the same grade again next year that you're in this year because you won't do things differently. You may be broke. You may not get into graduate school. Your spiritual life just still may be, you may be a kindergartner spiritually in your pursuit to be like Christ because you've got it figured out and you're not going to do anything differently. Your attitude, your gossip, your sin may still be just as stinking and rotten this time next year as it is right now if you're not willing to do some things differently. You know the old saying, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. First of all, you're not a dog. Secondly, if I ever call you a dog, that's a compliment. I love dogs. But that's a lie. You can teach an old dog new tricks. And you're not a dog. You, you can learn. The only thing that's going to keep you from being different and better this time next year is you. Remember the definition of insanity. Doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. You know, I, I want to say this. That's almost a cop-out because you can almost say, well, yeah, insanity, you can't help yourself. I'm going to say this. Probably one of the definitions of being really dumb is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. And probably the definition of sin, one definition of sin would be continuing down a wrong path, expecting to get right results. It's not going to happen. I want to challenge you this morning to make a choice for you, the only person you control fully, that you're going to do whatever you need to do differently this next year to be the person God has left you here on earth to be. Let's pray. If you're a Christian, boy, I challenge you to dig deep, to search hard. What needs to be different? Are you willing to do whatever it is God is pointing out to you you need to do? Will you do it? If you're not a Christian, would you pray with me right where you're seated and just say, Jesus, I, I admit to you I'm a sinner. And I want to turn from my sins. I believe you're God's son who died and arose for me. And Jesus... Today, I ask you to come into my heart. I want to be different, Jesus.